Welcome to the ICMA Future Leaders FinTech Working Group podcast series on blockchain and capital markets. Tune in to hear the industry's leading experts explore some of the key issues surrounding the use of blockchain technology in capital markets today. Welcome. You are listening today to episode one on the business case for blockchain and capital markets. The aim of this mini-series is to make what can seem an inaccessible topic accessible and, with the help of the industry's leading experts, explore some of the key issues surrounding the use of blockchain technology in capital markets today. My name is Alexander Tollest. I am the Vice Chair of the ICMA Future Leaders FinTech Working Group, and I work as a lawyer at Clifford Chance based in Paris. For today's podcast, I am joined by Juan Jimenez Zabalos, Digital Public Policy Director at the Santander Group and CEO of Alastria Blockchain Ecosystem. Juan, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Alex, for the invitation and support. And uh, also thanks ICMA for the constant dedication on research and development of innovation and digitization for capital markets. For sure, this session will cover interesting topics around our favorite theme, uh, how to use DLT in wholesale banking, and more specifically, how to use it in capital markets, challenges and opportunities. Thanks, Juan. First, I'd like to very quickly set the scene as to the use of DLT in capital markets. Distributed ledger technology, or DLT, has the potential to transform how securities are issued, traded, and settled. But so far, take-up has been relatively limited. There have been some notable transactions, such as the World Bank's bond issuance in 2018, Santander's end-to-end blockchain bond issuance in 2019, and the EIB's recent deployment of DLT for the registration and settlement of digital bonds in April 2021. However, nearly all transactions in capital markets are still done in the traditional way. And yet the traditional way isn't perfect. There are legal issues, with the identification of the legal owner of bonds made more complicated by the fact that in many jurisdictions it's necessary to separate the legal and beneficial ownership of security in order to facilitate its issue and trading on a cross-border basis through the ICSDs. There are also operational issues, Payments and information flows are complex. For example, payments made by issuers have to go through the paying agent, the ICSDs, and then down the custody chain to arrive at the bondholder. That said, the current system has developed over decades. It is tried and tested, and it is robust. It is far from inefficient, and liquidity isn't a problem. It's even difficult to label it antiquated as electronification and tech are already prevalent in many aspects of the issuance, settlement, and trading process. Now, despite the somewhat daunting task, there are market actors who are interested in exploiting DLT in capital markets, and the European Parliament recently approved a pilot regime which should be operational in 2022 with a view to introducing a harmonized legislative framework for DLT in capital markets. Juan, I think that essentially sets the scene why don't you perhaps start by running through some of the key taxonomy for audience so that everyone is clear what we're talking about? Yeah, I think we witnessed the, the phenomenon of a rise of, of cryptocurrencies since 2008. Yeah, after all the issues of the Satoshi paper and all the Bitcoin phenomenon. And uh, yeah, since, since then, we, 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 we encountered thousands and thousands of, yeah, a plethora of cryptocurrencies came across to the market, bringing unknown and uncharted risks. 
uh, and its players uh, with no certain regulation and uh, to, to sort out the traffic. Uh, after all the cryptocurrencies and coinciding with the, with the invention of smart contracts and, uh, and the use of Ethereum network and, and, uh, and Ethereum token standards, some institutions started tokenizing traditional assets uh, boosted by the power of automation and its speed, traceability, and, and, and transparency uh, as a main, main benefits uh, that this technology is bringing. Uh, it has been only in 2020 uh, up to now that there's a new regulation. It's already approved, but it's still in the oven as uh, the, the Mika trialogue is not there still, but we got some, uh, some agreement uh, at the European Commission level a couple of weeks ago on DLT pilot regime. The combination of the two regulations is going to bring more surveillance to wallets and exchange providers and also to crypto custodians. Uh, but uh, to your question, the taxonomy that we have in front of us is, is uh, now is sorted out. Is um, in, on first place we have the the asset reference tokens. Uh, also, we have the security tokens, and uh, and the third step would be e-money tokens. When it comes to DLT in capital markets, we we can encounter both security tokens. Uh, being the, the fixed income reference or the equity reference itself built on a distributed ledger technology, plus the e-money token, if you decide, only if you decide to use a cash leg covered also on chain. We could still have this third category of e-money tokens in our, in, our, in our use cases. Okay, thank you, that's very clear. So what for you are the, the main opportunities offered by DLT in the capital market sphere? Well, uh, I think it can bring speed, traceability, and also transparency. Um, but it's not only the usage of uh, distributed ledger technology or so-called blockchain. I think it's the combination of DLT for issuances in the primary market, plus some pieces of digitization used for, for book building, can be cloud-based tools connecting supply and demand, um, uh, which you know these these processes back in back in the days and even nowadays are still convoluted, are, are uncomplex. And this new technology bring um, bring uh, the opportunity of making this process more efficient, connectivity, accessibility, transparency, also in funding levels, also market features and democratization at the end of the day to small issuers, at thinking of. Uh, using a small denominations, also access to new investors to this interesting new paper. So as you see, the opportunity is, is huge and uh, is not only focused in one part of the market, I would say it brings opportunity to every single player here in this, in this process. And why is it the technology is seen as being faster, more secure, and more transparent than traditional technologies? Well, what we have here, it's, it's, it's interesting, your question. It's, it's, it's faster because we are using the power of encryption and the power of smart contracts for replicating a normal traditional process that, as you know, if you're familiar with this market, it, it's been done manually. It's all about reconciliations and follow-up by middle office and back office of different players, both you know the issuer, the investor and also the dealer, they have to agree on a, on a contract that uh, traditionally is physical. Now we are using the power of smart contracts to automate the whole process 
and to automate the the whole life cycle of the instrument, uh, whether it is the issuance itself, also the payments and the redemption of every single asset using this technology. I think this is the main the main benefit that is implied, but there are others like transparency, as we mentioned, and also traceability. If I remember correctly, the Santander issuance in 2019 actually used smart contracts to automate the quarterly interest payments. Is that is that right? Absolutely, you're right. We decided, yeah, the first one we did, the 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 the, the, the seminal transaction, actually it was all about uh, dealing with our asset and liability committee. So the finance people, they decided to, to, to run this alternative process while running the traditional one, also testing the waters in the tokenization process. We decided to, to leave it open in terms of settlement using both on-chain and off-chain options. So mm-hmm. we, 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 of course, tokenized the fixed income reference, but we also used the on-chain option, the off-chain option, and also leaving a copy of the both cash and fixed income into the public Ethereum network, letting other other players, other actors in the in the process download this copy and interact with it. I think it was quite innovative when you look at it. It was three years ago already, but it's still quite a landmark in innovation in capital markets. Yes, and so for that you used a, a public um, blockchain platform rather than a private permissioned platform? We use a combination of both for the, you know, for connecting the different players in the issuance. We use the, a private version of Ethereum, a fork mm-hmm. of Ethereum that uh, uh, we use from a provider, from a fintech that actually we invested in through Moro Capital, which is our venture capital arm. Uh, mm-hmm. But when it came to publishing the issuance, the public issuance, we use the public network because we really believe in the in the public network's power. And when you think of the whole end-to-end process, uh, thinking of regulators, thinking on notarization, thinking on other parties that would be interested in this issuance, maybe for secondary market or other purposes, I think it's important to use also public Ethereum networks, in this case, Ethereum, but could be others. This is kind of a Santander stance when we look at DLT and capital markets, not only in capital markets, also in other type of use cases. So that's, that's um, given us I think, a clear introduction on the advantages of DLT. What for you would be the best case scenario for the use of DLT in capital markets in the coming years? Well, yeah, interesting question as well. Uh, it seems that now we have clearer regulation, uh, at least uh, we can, we're following very closely the trialogue and it's bringing for sure more certainty to the different players. This pilot regime that you mentioned that we, uh, that we got some agreement uh, recently still have some, uh, I wouldn't say low thresholds, but are still not that, not that broad when you look at the whole industry, the whole European industry, and uh, there's a feeling in the industry that uh, we large dealers, we can easily top limits uh, with some outstanding issuances. Provided the, the interest that we're, we're sounding from the market, I mean, when you, when you talk to clients, when you talk to, the, to, you know, to like-minded dealers, 
also buy side investors they're super interested in this new paper new crypto new crypto assets uh, they're you know they're, the buy side is putting together new wrappers to be able to invest or to diversify portfolios or to look for for um, inflation neutralization and um, uh, what we feel is that the pilot regime is a, is a, is a is a good start for sure but once the regulators get more grip and they really master they really control this market from the ground up uh, i think higher thresholds and less scrutiny would incentivize new players to come into this promising market just for the benefit of our listeners um, the pilot regime the idea is that market infrastructures so that's trading platforms and central security depositories can disapply certain eu financial service legislation such as the csdr in order to do things that they can't currently do, um, such as settle digital securities. Do you think that it's fair that there's a criticism which is made, which is that it's not open enough and that it's it's favoring certain market players? Do you think that's a, a fair um, uh, um, criticism? Or do you think that actually it's a very legitimate risk that we don't want to have market fragmentation? And if we have too many players, then it's going to risk an inefficient system. Yeah, interesting reflection here. Um... These this limits, these this thresholds we have now are low, and I understand why. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, the overall threshold for outstanding securities in the market for European markets is 6 billion uh, outstanding. It's, this is the final figure that we have with us. This figure, well, it's, it's kind of higher, the higher figure that we thought, but it incentivizes, I think, the entrance of uh, maybe small small to medium-sized issuers into the market because maybe the the top ones the ones that go billion by billion maybe they are not that much interested with this with this level of thresholds uh, once once uh, once we have more certainty larger thresholds uh, clearer regulator roles as well and responsibilities we'll see more investors and issuers get interested at the same time, I can tell you that not all the dealers uh, out there in the industry, when you were when you were talking about maybe uh, not crowding, not crowding a lot this market with lots of players, I can tell you that not all the dealers are interested are are necessarily interested into into this new market as they can see it as a way of a disintermediation and margin squeezing. The promise of the technology is this technology to cheapen the process and to bring more efficiency into the process, and we see issuers. Uh, expecting um, cheaper service, uh, mm -hmm. so I, I still see some misalignment of incentives, which is normal in a in a in a new market. And also, I, I, I would I would I would comment over here that I can see still high legal advice cost that can can make this market still unaffordable for for small issuers and investors. Finally, there's a technological and financial disconnection among amongst primary and secondary market that we cannot uh, undermine. There's still no bridge in technology connecting the two platforms together. We, we see primary platforms working here uh, as a book building uh, and uh, price discovery and funding levels features here uh, in, on one side. And on the other side, we see secondary market liquidity platforms out there. And the connection is still not there. Um, but it's not only about technology. It's also about crypto pricing, interest rates, crypto curve, we, we are not even able to quote all these new instruments in terms of liquidity, market depth, the, the, the prime or, or discount that should be applied to, to a crypto asset compared to the traditional asset. 
as I mentioned, is a technological challenge, but it all, it's also a pricing and, uh, and financial challenge. But we'll see more and more developments and progress in this market as we go by. Okay, great. I mean, it's, it's interesting that, that you're saying about the thresholds and how it might discourage or might give the impression that actually that one of the aims is to encourage small medium enterprises to participate in the market. But if the costs are too high, then actually we're not breaking down the, the barriers to entry that, that we're trying to address. So I think it's it's clearly a very early days and it's an asset market, but there's a, a lot of work to be done. And, and what would you say about the operational challenges? So a lot of talk is about on-chain and off-chain and whether we should use alternatives such as the trigger mechanism. Um, and earlier you mentioned that the Santander issuance actually did both on-chain and off-chain in, in parallel. What's your views on, on, on some of those operational challenges? And, and do you think that we'll get there organically or, or do you think we're, we're still some way off? Well, if you really want to be innovative, like, uh, like in full, if you're thinking of, you're taking this serious as a market player, uh, you should provide uh, also on-chain settlement. Why? Because it seems at least for us innovators, people dealing with the digital agenda, we see that if you only tokenize the fixed income, you only get half of the benefits of this market. I mean, we dealers, we should, we should also use uh, digital cash to, to, to provide a full digital experience to our clients, uh, uh, both buy side and sell side uh, or issues. Uh, this is the way I see it, of course, uh, Innovation always goes faster than reality, and um, we still have to deal with with legacy systems for for settling money into the process. And that's why every construct we put together have to be compatible to the new world, but also to the old world. And uh, and that's why in the first issuance we decided to do both and provide the full option range to our clients, whether you want to on-chain, you can go on-chain, the thing or the problem that we encountered in 2019 that it's all still in the way of resolving is how these digital cash interacts, interacts or compose with the rest of digital, uh, digital tokens, e-money tokens that can be out there. And now it's more present due to all the CBDCs, stable coins, and um, financial market infrastructure coins that are underway. The challenge for investors and also for issuers is how you compose all these new e-money tokens together. Mm -hmm. uh, but we also provided the opportunity to settle these assets off-chain, which is traditional cash. We are familiar with this new concept that the Bundesbank is putting together that is quite promising, this so-called trigger system that can, can make target to a European settlement system coexist with these new versions of e-money tokens and digital cash. We will see, it's, it's quite promising. And I think uh, this is a demonstration that the regulators and the financial market infrastructures are moving faster, are thinking of uh, the opportunity that is in front of us. And of course, I think we will solve this problem of not being able nowadays to provide clients with atomic settlement. Yeah? As, as, as we see that nowadays through a CSD has to, you, you have to perform 
bundle payments or you have to pay amounts in terms of netting and settlement in a non-atomic way. Atomic is the name of a game when it comes to DLT. And I think this, uh, as, as we mentioned, this trigger system, it seems is going to be the solution. Great. So it's interesting that you're touching upon the fact that you know, there really are a lot of different market actors trying to find solutions to some of these challenges. Perhaps that's my final question today. Would, what are you at Santander and Adastria doing to tackle the challenges? And, and how do you feel that you can make a difference? Well, I think that nowadays the good news is that uh, there's no more technological discussion. As we all know that the technology, it works or it will work. It's more about exploring use cases and um, also taking in consideration the new regulation and jurisdiction where to apply first. And uh, I can see some regulators moving faster than others. So the discussion nowadays is, in, in, at least in the bank and from, from, what I, from what I'm witnessing in the industry, also uh, from, my, from my Alastria role that I'm, I'm leading this organization uh, here in Spain, but also uh, becoming more and more European, I see certain regulators moving, moving faster than others. So this can bring us into a regulatory arbitrage. Uh, I can see Europe, of course, moving under these couple of regulations we already mentioned, but I can see the UK also making a big bet for remaining or yeah, remaining incumbent in the in, in the capital markets space. I see the US quite interested as well in with all the new movements and new projects uh, under DTCC and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So I can see uh, different innovation poles and and uh, and also large jurisdictions in terms of capital markets um, competing each other to attract this promising market when it comes into fruition. Thank you. And interestingly, we actually have a, a podcast in the mini-series on how um, the pilot regime fits into the capital markets union. I mean, that, unfortunately, there's so much to talk about, but that's all we have time for today. Thank you very much for your invaluable insights and, and for taking the time to join us. Yeah, I think we, we need more time to tackle this uh, complex but super interesting matters. Thank you, thank you, Alex, for, for, for bringing awareness to these. And also, thanks again for driving the conversation so nicely and, and accurate. I'm also happy to, uh, always happy to help the ecosystem from my side. And, and remember that Alastria can be a nice test bed at European level to find networks, standards, and like-minded like -minded institutions and players looking for collaboration. So, so definitely, definitely up for that and, um, and uh, looking forward to this promising market and uh, to use it more and more and to better serve our clients. Thank you for listening. For further episodes in the ICMA Future Leaders FinTech Working Group's Blockchain and Capital Markets podcast series, search ICMA Podcast on all major podcast providers or visit the media library on the ICMA website 